Happy almost spring. It is time to talk parents empowered spring break and underage drinking pre uh, prevention. My daughter, my oldest daughter, goes to Utah State University. They have the earliest spring break, so we just got back from that. But I know most of our schools in the state are still waiting for that big week. We're also talking coronavirus this week, which means that we might have kids out of school for longer than parents intended. So this is a great time to have this conversation. Spring break, uh, whether your kids will be home or traveling with friends, is a time to talk about important issues, making sure their vacation does not include alcohol. We're talking today with two substance use prevention experts about what parents can do to make sure their kids' social environment remains alcohol-free. Right now, we want to talk a little bit about what parents should be concerned about, what should they be thinking about. Joining us today is Peter Clegg, uh, Prevention Coordinator, and David Watkins, a Regional Prevention Director. Thank you both of us for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. So this is an important topic. We talk about it on a regular basis, but like many other issues with your kids, it's one of those that you have to talk about on a regular basis. We're doing it again with spring break coming up. So David, I think we're all aware spring break is popular. Everyone likes to party. They like to have a good time, take a break from school. Uh, sometimes they include alcohol, and it's not always college kids we're talking about. A recent survey looked at more than 250,000 Instagram posts and more than 10,000 of those Instagram photos with the hashtag spring break had illicit substances featured or mentioned. This is a problem. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, you make it, you hit it on the head when it comes to where are our kids during spring break, and that might be different this year than in years past, but whether they're at home, whether we're at home, whether they're going on a trip somewhere, alcohol might be present um, where in the locations where they're at, and if we're not at home when they're at home, alcohol might be present in the home. And so, um, being concerned about, you know, what are our rules and what expectations do we have for our children? You mentioned that um, survey where 50% of posts on Instagram with the hashtag spring break had uh, references to alcohol or drugs. And of those uh, 50%, three-fourths of them had references to alcohol. And so alcohol is on our youth radar um, no matter what their age is, and we need to be concerned about that. Oftentimes, there's a disconnect between parents uh, on the number of students that are drinking and act the actual numbers of students. In Utah, we do a survey called the Sharp Survey um, every other year with 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. Um, when we ask parents, well, how many of your youth might be uh, drinking alcohol? They say about 9%. Um, but when the Sharp Survey comes out and the students self-report, they say that they're about 16% of them um, are drinking or have tried alcohol. And so... A little bit of disconnect there, and we need to be concerned as parents that there's the opportunity to talk to all of our kids um, whether uh, about alcohol and their use with alcohol, particularly at this time with spring break. I think it's interesting um, that we talk about these social media posts and how many of them are posting with drugs or alcohol, because as a mom, I think if my kids are doing something like that, they're going to not be posting about it on social media, so there are the kids who feel comfortable. Then... Uh, Peter, there's going to be the kids who don't feel comfortable, which means there's still more kids doing it than we even realize. So this is definitely an issue with all kinds of families here in the state of Utah. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, you know, these kiddos that are between the ages of 12 and 20, that um, we're finding that they're drinking 11% of all the alcohol consumed in the United States. That's so, a lot. Yeah, that's, that's quite a bit. That's over a tenth of, of all the alcohol that's been consumed in our country. So more than... Um, 90% of this alcohol is being consumed, uh, that there, that this 11% is consuming is being um, taken in in the form of binge drinking. And so although adolescents and young adults drink less often than adults, right, because there's still that other 89% mm -hmm. that's being consumed by adults, 
that they tend to drink more often in those occasions. And, and frequently, they're drinking more than five drinks, uh, five drinks or more in those occasions, which is a matter of concern. So they're drinking to get drunk when they start. Absolutely. That's definitely a concern. So what we're talking about here is the kids in Utah are drinking to get drunk. That is the goal there. They're not just wanting to have a social drink like grown-ups at dinner, have a glass of wine. They really want to get the buzz. They want to get drunk. What's the definition for binge drinking? If you're talking to your kids, what's the amount on that? Yeah, so the definition of, of binge drinking is consuming more than four or five drinks in a, in a single two-hour period. So in Utah, kids are consuming large quantities of alcohol in a single setting and sometimes as much as eight drinks as, at a time, as according to their self-reports. In fact, Utah kids are binge drinking at higher rates than their peers in other states is what, is what we're, we are seeing. And in 2019, of those 12th graders in Utah that reported drinking in the past 30 days, 62% also reported binge drinking in the past two weeks. Whereas nationally, of those 12th graders who drank, 46% also reported binge drinking. The differences between Utah and national averages are even greater in our 8th and 10th graders. That's scary to think about. I have an 8th grader, and you think they're so young and innocent, it's not something that they would be doing. Is there a reason we think that Utah kids are going into this to binge drink or to get drunk more than other states? Do we have any idea? You know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of research on that, on why, particularly in Utah, those national averages are higher. Um, we have fewer youth that do choose to drink alcohol in Utah, which I think is a huge positive. But it is something for us to be aware about as parents in the state. You know, why, when children choose to drink alcohol, why are they choosing to binge drink? Binge drinking does tend to carry uh, heavier consequences than non-binge drinking, uh, including, you know, youth tend to not have that brain mechanism in their brain that shuts off and tells them, hey, you've had too much alcohol to drink. And so it leaves them risky for alcohol poisoning, which can lead to uh, death and those type of things. And so we should be aware of that. That That is the concern for Utah is maybe that binge drinking. Um, but we do have lower drinking yeah. rates overall. And there are serious consequences. So let's talk more a little bit about that. You said alcohol poisoning is an issue. It can be life-threatening if they're not to the hospital in time. What are some of the other repercussions that come with it? Yeah, along with the kind of the alcohol poisoning that occurs from just uh, consuming too much alcohol too quickly, again, youth don't have that shut-off valve that tells them, you know, you've had too much and you fall asleep or whatever. They can become unconscious or die, or die from uh, too much alcohol. Impairment's another issue associated with drinking too much alcohol. Uh, impairment might lead to poor decisions, risky decisions. They uh, might decide to get behind the wheel and drive. We know that car accidents are the number one um, killer of our teens, and so adding alcohol on that and impaired driving can increase those risks associated with um, driving behind the wheel. And then, again, the, just the poor risky decisions might put them at risk for injury um, or other types of situations that just aren't going to be good for them to be in. Yeah, you talk about the impaired judgment, and that's why it's so important to talk to your kids. We've talked about this before, that if something goes wrong that you tell your kids, they're not going to be in trouble if they give you a call. You know, call me, I'll come pick you up, because you don't want your kids in a situation thinking, I'm just going to let this keep going on because I don't want to call and get in trouble because my friends are passed out or my friends are drunk. You want them to feel comfortable calling you and not getting in trouble. So, Peter, underage drinking is also strongly linked with poor academic performance and mental health challenges. Is this something that parents need to be paying attention to grades, seeing if things change or if there's something wrong along the way? Absolutely. That, um, you know, we do see a lot of uh, an increase in, in these kinds of uh, 
maladaptive behaviors or these you know, maybe these flat red flags mm-hmm. as they go through through high school, uh, kind of peaking around that tenth uh, grade uh, time. But that what we see is is that that um, there is this link where kids who are binge drinking. Um, or have self-reported binge drinking, have a harder time in school and are more likely to drop out. And so, yeah, like you said, be watching those grades and, and seeing, you know, are these are there attitude changes? And, then, you know, it, it naturally comes with adolescence that there's going to be some of those red flags and, oh, what's going on? But they're good. It's a good time to check in and see what's going on and, and check in on, on, uh, on these kinds of um, concerns, right? Right, and I think parents know their kids. They know what's usual. They know what's normal. And when things go awry... Don't wait. Talk to them then. Absolutely. Okay. Um, binge drinking, we want to talk a little bit more at a young age, can change how teens' brain develop, leading to an addiction and difficulties with learning and problem solving down the road. So, Peter, this is why we want to keep talking about it, because it's not just that we don't want our kids drinking because we say they're not supposed to. There's actual issues with doing it that could hurt them for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. That, uh, Like I previously mentioned, that adolescent brains are, are, are changing, right? They're, it's, it's a whole lot of stuff is happening at once. And and uh, with these dramatic developmental changes, alcohol can adversely affect how the d- the brain develops and, and even functions. If heavy drinking begins before age thirteen, um, there's actually a forty five percent chance of becoming alcohol dependent later in life, because um, because nearly out of, uh, four out of five people in treatment for alcohol use disorder say that they begin drinking. In, ad- in adolescence. So alcohol abuse is considered a pediatric onset condition, which means that it's completely preventable. And, and, and so if we can stop that, that underage drinking early on um, in, in those pre-adolescent years and, and keep it from happening, we can stop so much from happening down the line. And that really is so important to think about and talk to your kids and talk to them about, I'm not just trying to be a mean mom, I'm not trying to be a mean dad, I'm looking out for you in the long run, which is what parents always do, but having that conversation and I think being frank about it probably helps your kids out along the way because sometimes they're like, you're old, you can't remember being young, you have no idea how this works. Um, Which brings us to friends, because friends have Mm -hmm. a huge influence on kids right now and peer pressure and their decision to drink. Do you need to know who their friends are, where they're at? What are the things we need to think about? Yeah, friends play a huge role. And I like what you said about, you know, parents having that conversation openly about, you know, why am I telling you not to drink underage? And it goes back to that brain science, something that maybe we as youth didn't get from our parents because the research might not have been there yet or our parents didn't know about it. But we know about it now and it's getting out there more. And so having that frank conversation and that importance really comes from the fact that parents are the number one reason children choose not to drink. And so while peers are important, um, parents really are more important. Parents will trump that peer pressure when clear rules are set and when parents have a good relationship with their children. And that's really a growing um, trend as well. There's a report out there from the Roper Youth Report, which explains or shows that over the last, since 1991, um, that parental influence has increased particularly when it comes to alcohol use. And so children are listening to parents more and more about alcohol use. It's up 24% since 1991 on that influence that parents has on their children. And I think that's an awesome thing for parents to hear because sometimes you think they're not listening to me. I have zero influence. They just don't want to hear it. But I think in some ways kids like to have rules. They want to know their parents care. So even though they're acting aggravated, 
they're still listening. So that attitude seems like it's extremely important as you move forward to have an attitude that you care, that you value their lives and how they learn and what they're going to be when they grow up, all of these things. Yeah, teens are teens, right? They don't want us as parents to know that, that they're listening to us. But when push comes to shove, that's really the case. The SHARP survey that I mentioned earlier um, kind of measures this as well. And one of the ways that they measure this is through a question uh, asking kids how they perceive their parents feel underage drinking is. And when children get the message that their parents think underage drinking is very wrong, they're almost unlikely to ever drink alcohol. Um, 30-day use at that time is 3%. So 3% of children who get the message underage drinking is very wrong um, actually go on to drink alcohol. Whereas if that message shifts from just wrong or a little bit wrong, it's a 35% increase um, on the number of youth that will go on to drink alcohol. So that seems like an important part of the conversation that you need to be definitive and being like, this is not allowed, it's not okay even a little bit, that you really have to let them know for sure that this is not something we do in our family and give them good reasons why. Because it seems like the way you word it, if you're trying to be the cool parent or the friend parent, that that is going to ruin your chances at making sure your kids are listening properly. Uh, we've mentioned the importance of keeping kids' social environment alcohol-free. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is their social environment? We, we know that the parents trump peer pressure. and But we also know that if kids are in social settings where alcohol is frequent, frequently present, that they're highly likely to begin drinking. And in fact, um, a recent study by the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism found that asking middle schoolers two questions was the greatest predictor of whether that child would abuse alcohol in later years. And those two questions were, the first one was, do you have any friends who have had a drink containing alcohol in the past year? And the second question was, how about you in the past year on how many days have you had more than a few sips of uh, a drink containing alcohol? Then they followed up with the kids uh, across uh, this, these same kiddos across three years, and the students who reported no drinking in the first screening by themselves or by their friends reported the, the least amount of drinking in subsequent years. Students who reported drinking and having friends that drink were likely to be uh, to be drinkers in subsequent years, and so we see that uh, the answers to these two questions are, are high predictors of, of behavior later on. Okay, so so important to really go through those questions, and we're going to have links where you can go and look this up all online because I know it's a lot to memorize and think about as parents. With spring break here for many of us, whether it's this week, next week, or in the next few weeks because they run all the way through March and April, what are the legal consequences of underage drinking? I know a lot of kids travel with their friends, sometimes with their families, and they go off on their own for time. So during that time, uh, law enforcement is out in force. What are the ramifications if your child is caught drinking underage? Yeah, and I, this is something I think parents need to be aware about and let their children know, particularly if they're traveling. Uh, it's going to vary from state to state. So different states have different laws when it comes to underage drinking, when it comes to possession, underage, all of those things. And so researching that if your children are planning a vacation outside of the state so that you're aware as a parent of what those might be. In Utah, we do have some specific um, requirements. Utah's a not a drop state or a zero tolerance state. And so that means that anybody underage uh, can have legal ramifications if they have any measurable amount of alcohol in their system. And so um, anytime a child might have had just even a drink of alcohol, they could potentially end up behind um, bars or with other legal ramifications in the juvenile system um, from that. And so some of the things that are associated with um, having that in a system for youth might be a six-month jail sentence and up to um, 1850 in fines and surcharges. 
Um, there also might be other education classes or things through the court system that they'll be required to participate in as a result of that minor in possession or um, the alcohol in their system. Okay, so those are harsh penalties and something that you really have to be thinking about aside from the fact of what it does to your brain, your body, and everything else. So where are kids actually getting their alcohol from? Are they stealing it? Do they have an older friend who's buying it? Where's it coming from? So we asked uh, Utah parents that very same question. And uh, if their child were to get access to alcohol, where would it be? And 32% of, of Utah parents said that it would be at a party. And, but when we asked Utah kids uh, who drink, uh, where, would they, uh, where they got their alcohol, and 57% said that it, it was at a party, but um, only 12% of parents predicted that kids would get their alcohol from home. Um, the reality is, is that 59% of, of, of kids who, who drink get their alcohol at home or someone else's home without any parental permission. Um, but what may be even more alarming is that 44% of Utah kids who drink get their alcohol at home with their parents' permission, 44%. And is that because parents are talking to their kids and saying, hey, if you're going to drink, at least do it at home? Or what's happening here? That's very likely. Um, I, I, I say this a lot. I, I think that the, the most dangerous attitude that a parent can have is they're going to do it anyway, so they might as well do mm -hmm. it inside my house. Those attitudes do turn into behavior. And, and that we see that, that, um, that those, uh, those kiddos that have uh, – they're um, like David mentioned, that their parents found it uh, maybe more permissible yeah. or more likely okay. to, to use So it. bottom line, while it's important to be vigilant about parties, making sure the alcohol won't be present, it's equally important that kids not have access to that alcohol at home and that parents not supply it to their kids. Does that mean locking it up or what do we do with it? Yeah, I, you know, parents need to be aware of how much alcohol is in the home mm -hmm. and then monitor that. So when they get home after a night or a day away, like monitoring and checking to see what it is. And it also might include locks um, on cabinets or fridges or things where they might keep their supply of alcohol in the home are all great ways to prevent that from being stolen at home. Um, parents need to understand that if they provide alcohol to their child, one, that's illegal. So it's illegal for them to provide that to their child. Um, and they'll have legal um, consequences for doing so, so if they're caught. And then children who see uh, or who drink at home with permission are 40% more likely to go on to binge drink outside of the home. And so Peter was talking about how it turns into behavior, and it really does. It turns into that binge drinking. I think parents often think, oh, well, I can provide alcohol in a safe environment. I can monitor them. I can be ensure that they don't... Um, get alcohol poisoning and those type of things. But in reality, if I'm getting that message at home, I'm much more likely to use outside of the home as well. Okay, that's good information. I think it's a lot of tough things to talk about with your kids. And parents want to shy away from it. It's not a fun conversation to have. So what are some suggestions to make it easier for parents? I know at my house, kids get talks like this way too often because when you're in the news, you only hear what goes wrong most of the time. So I'm sort of a <laughs> pessimist. So we break this all down at my house. But not everyone talks about these issues every day. So how do we do it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it really, it, it's kind of a, a really uh, fun answer. And that is really just spend time with your kids and bond with them, have fun. And because real conversations are made possible by real connections and real trust that you have, have with your kiddos. And um, because the research shows that, that being involved in your kid's life and regularly, regularly spending time with them, doing things that they like to do, helps strengthen your relationship with them. 
and and kiddos who who feel close to their parents are much more likely to have those open conversations with their parents and and be receptive to their to their parents um uh, especially if they were the parents were to set clear rules and expectations um, to protect their health and safety so even though we see that parental involvement will decline um, between uh, almost by half between the, the the grades of six and and twelfth grades, when kids um, these are these are the times where we need to see parents more in in uh, as they're very vulnerable and and they're making decisions on their own, but that. That they have that parental influence as they're making those big decisions for their lives. It's so true. You always think babies and toddlers need your most attention, but the teenagers need your love too and need you to be there. So David, every two years here in Utah, we do a survey with 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders asking a few questions about their relationships they have with parents. So the questions you're asking, uh, you say they're protective factors against underage drinking. Let's talk about what questions you're asking. Yeah, so there's four particular questions that hit at that relationship that a child has with their parents. And these four questions go on to be a great predictor of those youth that are to go on to actually drink or those that choose not to drink at all. And those four questions that hit at this family attachment um, or bonding or this protective factor are, do you feel close to your mother and father? Uh, Do you enjoy spending time with your mother or father? Do you share your thoughts and feelings with your parents? And if you had a personal problem, would you go to your parents for help? help. And so it hits on what Peter was saying. It's that relationship, right? That's bonding I have. If my children can feel comfortable being around me and asking me the tough questions about, you know, if I have a problem, who am I going to turn to? Yeah. And that's me as a parent, as the answer, then that's a great protector against underage drinking. That's good to know. And uh, it makes you like stop and think what your kids would answer. And if you're stopping and thinking, maybe the answer is not what you thought it should be. Spend time in their world, which means you're not always going to be doing things you think are the most fun. You're doing what your kids think is fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, spending the time doing what they want. I think of, um, as I was practicing this yesterday with my family, uh, my eight-year-old's like, you guys talk to us all the time about this. I can't think of a time when you didn't mention this. <laughs> um, but he loves to play um, um, with Pokemon cards and Beyblades. Not my interest whatsoever, but it's taken that time to be in his world doing those things that he likes to do. Um, and hopefully as he gets older, he'll like some of the things that I like to do as well. But <laughs> Hopefully they'll happen. And you say that it's important that you're doing one-on-one time for 10 or 15 minutes. Is this with each kid on a daily basis? Can we do this once a month or is it a yearly thing? Yeah, definitely. 10 to 15 minutes every single day um, is a great way to build that relationship with each individual child. Anybody that has more than one child knows that each of their children are a little bit different. And so bonding with them in the way that they like doing the things that they like to do for at least that 10 to 15 minutes. I think that's a minimum as well. Um, I know we all work and we all have different yeah. responsibilities. So finding 10 to 15 minutes, if you have three or four kids can be difficult, um, but finding that one-on-one time is, is uh, important for us to do. It can be the best part of your day. So when we're talking about building the foundation of a trusting relationship with your child, these dialogues have the best chance for success. So how can parents have these realistic conversations with the kids, especially when a lot of times your kids maybe don't want to talk, you might be catching them at a time where they've had a bad day at school or they've had enough of it. Yeah, well, I think that it's important to remember that this isn't going to be like a one and done birds and the bees kind of. You can't have the sex talk once and be done yeah. when they're four and be like, I oh, told you. Oh, yeah, we got this. We got this taken care of. We already talked about this years ago that, um, no, this is something that, that really needs to build off of, uh, you know, one uh, building blocks, right? Mm-hmm. One, one step after another and, and that they can be in very casual and, and, and informal settings, um, you know. It could be playing sports or a video game that your kiddo likes or uh, when you're traveling in the car to something. Um, that that it's, it's not meant to be a one-and-done chat. 
And, and it can be an ongoing uh, uh, dialogue where you are protecting your child's most um, your child's most valuable asset, which is their mm -hmm. brain, right? Absolutely. And one of the keys here is asking open-end questions. I know this with my kids. I text my 14-year-old after school and be like, how was school? The answer is always good. And so you have to be like, how specifically was your science test? Or ask more specific questions or something where they'll give you more than just a fine, good, bad, whatever. So how do you do that? Yeah, and I think that gets to the point that, you know, what you tell a younger child is going to be a little bit different than an older child. And these mm -hmm. open-ended questions are a perfect way or a perfect example of that. As your kids age, they're able to handle um, tougher questions. Mm -hmm. And these open-ended questions tend to get them thinking about their answers. And it gives us great insight as parents as to where they're really at. And so some of the questions that parents could ask that would really get their teens thinking would be, you know, what would you do if someone offered you alcohol? If you are at your friend's house, um, or sorry, if you are you and your friends were in an unsafe situation, how would you handle it? And what if your friend's parents allowed alcohol at a party? What would you do? And I think it's important for us as parents to remember how we respond to their answers is going to kind of determine their openness to us as well. And so maybe not having that shocked reaction or, um, you know, oh, well, that was a terrible answer type of a thing when they do tell us what they actually feel is important so that we can continue that dialogue with them and have it um, be what their thoughts are and then maybe gently ease them on what we think they're uh, what our rules are for our family. Yeah, and I think we, I remember growing up too that your teachers or your parents would talk about how these types of questions would be the ones where you have to think out loud, you have to know what your answer is before the fact. And then if you actually get to that situation, it's easier to give said answer because you've thought about it, you've said it out loud, and you've practiced it before. So. Yeah, one of the best um, skills that youth can learn is how to say no. And so that's another skill that parents can do is practice with them. How would you say no? If you're at a party, you know, what's your strategy for saying no to alcohol? Or if you're in the uh, in a situation where you want to get out of what, you know, what's your strategy for doing that and practicing with it so that they're ready to go when they're in that situation. So just keep on communicating and reminding your kids you're there to help them and want to get them out of a mess if they get in it. At what age do we start talking about underage drinking? Because I think we think of our kids in high school maybe being an issue, but I have to assume that it's got to be far before that. Yeah, so that um, I think oftentimes that we think that it's something that this would be an issue that we would only talk about in during teen years. Mm -hmm. But the, the American Academy of Pediatric, uh, Pediatrics now suggests that, that you talk with your child as early as, as the age of nine. And uh, we know that underage drinking in, in Utah can start as early as sixth grade. So if, if studies show that age nine would be appropriate, then most kids will still have, um, we see that at during that time, around age nine, what are they in third, fourth grade, mm -hmm. that they still have negative perceptions towards alcohol. And, and perceive it as something that could be dangerous or mm -hmm. harmful for them. And so between the ages of 9 and 13, those attitudes start becoming more, maybe more favorable towards the concept of alcohol. And so uh, in April, um, we would, uh, since uh, April is uh, Alcohol Awareness Month, uh, whether you have a 9-year-old or a teenager, or, uh, any, 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 uh, adolescent in that in that age range, we invite you to have a conversation with your kiddos about the very real harms of underage drinking, not only to their developing brain, but how underage drinking can lead to depression, problems in school, addiction, and other reckless behaviors. That it's you know nine nine might nine might seem kind of early, but but we're seeing that that's a really good time to kind of address those attitudes. All right, early and often. So before we leave everyone with all this information today, let's go over the bottom line of what parents can do to protect their children from the harms of underage drinking. 
Yeah, we've talked a lot about um, bonding already. Parents Empowered has three strategies that they really focus on. Mm -hmm. Bonding's probably number one, right? Having that good relationship with your child. Once that relationship is established, parents can really set boundaries, the rules associated with underage drinking or other things that a parent wants them to do. And if they have that good relationship and they're clear with their rules, children are very likely to follow through with those rules. I like to use the analogy of a roller coaster here. When you get on a roller coaster, usually the first thing you do is wiggle the the little harness, right? Make and, sure you're actually in. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we wiggle that not because we're hoping that today this harness comes off while we're going around the loop. We wiggle it because we want to ensure that it holds. And for parents, um, you know, teen's job is to wiggle the harness and the harness are the rules, right? And so they're going to push against the rules, but they're pushing against them to ensure that they're safe, right? And so the boundaries really keep children safe and they really want them. Their job is to push against them. The last thing we can do as parents is monitor. And so once we've set the rules, just ensure that they're followed um, and that we're monitoring what they're doing so that we can ask them, you know, who are they with? Where are they going? Um, what are you going to be doing? The five W's. Um, and really knowing their friends, knowing their friends' parents, um, and all of those things that go along with monitoring are key um, for parents and keeping our youth safe. So really just be involved. Know who their friends are. And I think with social media, I like to cyberstalk my uh, kids and their friends and start to follow them. And they're like, Mom, stop following my friends. And I'm like, no, thank you. I will keep following them and I will know what you're up to because this way I can surveil you from all places. But I think kids like to know that you know their friends and you're involved in their lives, so it all helps. Uh, parents, uh, we know this is a difficult talk. After you listen to this, you'll probably want more information. So parentsempower.org is where there's more information. You also have a Facebook page where they can go. And I'm assuming all of the stuff that we've gone over today, people can find resources there to talk to their kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's all there. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope everyone has a great spring break and that we can be over all of the coronavirus fears soon. So have a great spring break, a safe one. And again, parentsinpower.org for more information. I wear these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that.